Welcome to another edition of the Morning Devotional. My name is Pastor William Hill, the pastor of Providence Presbyterian Church located in Evansville, Indiana. Today is Tuesday, December 26th, 2023. This is edition number 14 of season nine as we continue looking at the book of Deuteronomy. Today we come to chapter number 14. Let's pray first. Our Father in heaven, as we come again to your word, we come and ask that you by your spirit would guide and direct and teach us. He who penned it, Uh, knows the mind of the living God. We ask that he would show us uh, wonderful things from your law, from your word. We pray that we would be receptive to that which we hear and read. We pray that you'd forgive us and help us that we might walk humbly before you all of our days. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, Deuteronomy chapter 14 is where we are in this uh, study. Um, As we look at Really, two issues that have generated significant controversy, I think, in the life of the church, at least the second item. The first one deals with matters related to dietary issues, food that are that is clean or unclean. Now, this is borrowed over from those commands that were given in Leviticus, and now Moses restates these. But again, it's within the context of his exposition on the first commandment. Now, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, this of course, makes us a people that are very distinct in the world. Those that love the living and true God, do not give themselves over to idols, um, are a distinct people. And God built into, his, um, into this uh, body politic, the, the, the visible church of old, he built into their everyday life ways in which they are reminded of these truths. Let me just read the first, six, uh, first eight verses of Deuteronomy 14. Again, you should read the whole chapter. But just for time's sake, I'm only going to read the first eight verses of Deuteronomy 14. Verse 1, you are the sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves or make any baldness on your foreheads for the dead. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You shall not eat any abomination. These are the animals you may eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. Every animal that parts the hoof and has the hoof cloven in two and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Yet of those that chew the cud or have the hoof cloven, you shall not eat these. The camel, the hare, and the rock badger, because they chew the cud but do not part the hoof, are unclean for you. And the pig, because it it parts uh, the hoof but does not chew the cud is unclean for you. Their flesh you shall not eat and their carcasses you shall not touch. And so what we note right away in this, this chapter here in chapter 14, we note in verse 2, you are a people holy to the Lord. And as such, God built into his people in their daily lives. He built into, uh, into, uh, <clears throat> into their daily lives various ways of which they are reminded that they are a special people, a treasured possession, holy to the Lord. They have been called out of all the nations of the earth that they might serve the living and true God, not serve idols. Now, food, of course, is a central staple, even in in idol worship, um, offering various foods to the gods, and there's a long tradition there. But here, God uses this to remind the people that they are unique. Now, there is some discussion, of course, as to the dietary laws of the Old Testament. What is their purpose? Some would argue that they're given by God for hygienic reasons. That is to say that he's doing this to keep them healthy. And that, while that may be true, 
I think a better argument for the dietary laws is that in each and every occasion in which the people of God sit down to eat, uh, they are reminded that God is holy and they are a holy people set apart for him. And that daily reminder in each meal that they have um, is designed to cement in their minds that God has indeed chosen them uh, as a people to be his treasured possession. And so if you want to make the argument that it's, you know, for hygienic reasons, that's fine and good, I guess. I don't think it's the best argument. I think the best argument is that it's a constant reminder every time they eat food that they are unique people. And of course, that reminds us and each and everything that we do throughout the course of our lives, everything that we engage in, we should do to the glory of God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, you know, what is the chief end of man or what is man's primary purpose? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And certainly in everything that we put our hands to, we should be seeking the very glory of God. Imagine if we were disciplined enough in our mind that we filtered every single thing that we said, every single thing that we uh, did or everything that we do through the lens of whether it brings glory <clears throat> to God or not. Imagine uh, that, what that world would be like. And so God gives these dietary laws to remind the people that they are unique to him. The second issue starts in verse 22. It's regarding tithes. Again, this probably generates even more discussion or controversy within the New Testament church. Um, I'm going to tell you my view of tithing in the New Testament. Um, uh, it's just my opinion of things as I've understand God's word, but typically in the Old Testament, a tenth of the a tenth was given. It's a practice, as one commentator puts it. It's a practice that is that dates back as early as Abram in Genesis 14. Um, Moses stresses here what to do with these tithes. By New Testament tithes, Jews gave a tithe to the Levites as well as a tithe for a feast. Okay, so verse 22, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the yield, the field year by year and before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there. Of course, this is talking about the tabernacle, and Shiloh eventually will be that place. And it goes on to give those, uh, those directives there. Now, in the New Testament uh, economy, you know, people say, well, you know, you're obligated to give a tenth of everything that you earn. Well, um, <clears throat> I think you need to give out of the abundance of all that God has given to you. The fact remains that, uh, the fact is, is that you owe everything to God. There's not a single thing that you have that you can rightly claim as yours. Uh, you have it because of the kindness of God. You have it because of his grace. He, he gives you the, the ability to earn your daily bread. He gives you health that you might get up on Monday and other days of the week and go to work and perform your duties that you might earn a paycheck. Um, and, and a host of other things. Nothing we have really is because we deserve it. It is all an act of God's grace, and including that great gift of salvation. And so what is it that we owe God? Of course, we owe him far more than 10%. And so I think in the church uh, that people ought to give uh, out of their wealth, out of, their, uh, out of the abundance of their heart. Now, this, what does that look like? You know, what number is that? Well, I think in general, people should give to the work of the ministry until it pinches a little. Take it right off the top and give to the Lord um, that which is rightfully his anyway. He doesn't need it, of course, we know this. But we give as an expression of worship to God for all that he has given to us. 
if you're a farmer, all the all the crops that grow. That's not because of your doing. Yes, you labored. Yes, you planted seed. Yes, you did what you were supposed to do. Of course, God uses the means, but you can't make the rain fall from the sky. You can't make the sun shine. You can't do any of those things that are necessary. All of it is because of the work of God, and we owe him so much. We owe him everything, and so we should give out of the abundance of our heart, and that's going to look different for many different people. I, I know of uh, stories of people, they say, well, I can't afford to give to the church and the work of the church because uh, I just, I can't afford it. I've got too many bills to pay. And then you look around and you see that they got the 72-inch TV. They have the most up-to-date modern phones. They, they drive the nicest of cars. And, and on and on it goes. And God has been very kind to them, but <clears throat> suddenly they can't, afford to, they can't afford to give to the Lord and the work of the ministry. So again, just as in the dietary laws, God institutes these laws to remind the people that all that they have belongs to him. And he's asking for a portion of it uh, to remind them again each week, each time they do offer a, a gift to the Lord, that all of it belongs to him and they are a unique people. On top of that, giving to the Lord expresses, a record, expresses in a very tangible way our dependence upon God. And so we give to him and we trust his promises that he will provide, for our, provide our daily bread. We don't worry about where it's going to come from. Instead, we simply give because God has been so giving uh, to us. And so the dietary laws set, <clears throat> reminding the people, setting them apart each time they sit down to eat, that they are a unique people, a holy people. And the tithes, of course, Again, reminding them that all that they have has come at the, from the hand of the God of heaven. Well, I trust these times are helpful for you. If you have any comments or questions, you might even disagree with some of my uh, conclusions that I've drawn from this chapter. That's fine. Uh, you can write me. Uh, you can uh, drop me a note. The information is there before you on the screen. And so until uh, the Wednesday edition, when we consider Deuteronomy 15, may the Lord help you today to walk according to his ways. God bless.